This podcast may contain explicit language. Welcome to the Greatest Movie of All Time podcast, the show that uses a unique grading style to redefine what the greatest movies are. I'm Tom Duncan. Riding solo this evening, as tonight in this bonus special episode, I pay off my bet to Dana from this year's Oscars by applying our patent-pending Stanley rubric to Batman and Robin from 1997. Directed by Joel Schumacher, written by Akiba Goldsman, music by Elliot Goldenthal, and starring... Arnold Schwarzenegger as Dr. Victor Freiss slash Mr. Freeze. George Clooney as Batman slash Bruce Wayne. Eric Lloyd as young Bruce Wayne. Chris O'Donnell as Dick Grayson slash Robin. Uma Thurman as Dr. Pamela Isley or Poison Ivy. Alicia Silverstone as Barbara Wilson slash Batgirl, although it should be Barbara Gordon if it were comic accurate. Michael Goh as Alfred Pennyworth. John Simmons as young Alfred Pennyworth, Pat Hingle as Commissioner James Gordon, Ellie McPherson as Julie Madison, John Glover as Dr. Jason Woodrue, and Robert Swenson as Bane. Although, before he transforms into this roided freak of a wrestler type that we get, Michael Reed McKay plays him before he's injected with the weird venom stuff that uh, makes him essentially just a grunter. Recognition for this movie, Batman and Robin was wide released on June 20th, 1997. The film would go on to roughly gross $238 million, finishing as the number 17 film of 1997 on a rough budget of between $125 and $160 million. How a Batman film finishes outside of the top 10, I do not know. The fact that we've had multiple Batman films that have finished outside the top 10 is beyond me. It should be an easy property to get right. Well, I shouldn't say that. I I take that back. When you get it right, they're really good. But when you get it wrong, they're really bad. As our film here evidences. And uh, thank you to my co-host for choosing such a emotionally charged movie for me. The film would hold the record for the highest opening weekend for an Arnold Schwarzenegger film until it was surpassed by Terminator 3 Rise of the Machines in 2003. Its opening weekend gross also remained George Clooney's highest until the release of Gravity in 2013. Well, at least George Clooney got a good movie as his highest grossing weekend. After Val Kilmer decided not to reprise the role of Batman, Warner's cast George Clooney as the fourth on-screen caped crusader after Adam West, Michael Keaton, and Kilmer. The film dropped off in its second weekend after poor word of mouth and overwhelming critic panning of the film, eventually garnering 11 Golden Raspberry Awards, winning for Worst Actress for Alicia Silverstone. And she deserved it. Batman and Robin is considered to be one of the worst superhero films and among the worst films ever made. In 2009, Marvel Studios president Kevin Feige said that Batman and Robin may be the most important comic book film ever made and that it was so bad that it demanded a new way of doing things and created the opportunity to make X-Men and Spider-Man in a way that was respected by the source material to a higher degree. Yeah, you can't just make a movie for selling toys. The audience actually demands, I don't know, a coherent plot. 
In an interview with Vice 20 years later after its release, director Joel Schumacher apologized for the film while taking full responsibility for its poor reputation, stating, quote, I want to apologize to every fan that was disappointed because I think I owe them that. A lot of it was my choice. No one is responsible for my mistakes but me. If you weren't already passed away, Mr. Schumacher, I would definitely allow you to be blamed for all of whatever this is. The nipples scene on the characters' costumes, first appearing in Batman Forever and accentuated for Batman and Robin at Schumacher's request, remain among the most defining aspects of the film. Recounting his involvement with the film, costume designer Jose Fernandez stated that he was opposed to sharpening the nipples, calling them ridiculous. In 2022, Tim Burton commented about Warner Brothers' decision to replace him as director with Schumacher after Batman Returns, quote, You complain about me? I'm too weird? I'm too dark? And then you put nipples on the costume? Go fuck yourself. One of the few things I will ever agree with Tim Burton about. During the filming of Batman and Robin, Warner Brothers was impressed with the dailies, prompting them to immediately hire Joel Schumacher to return as director for a fifth film. If you thought the dailies were good on this, I mean, come on, Warners. You're, you're just asking for this to be bad. <sighs> Golly, how can you watch? <sighs> Never mind. However, writer Akiva Goldsman turned down an offer to write the script. In late 1996, Warner Brothers and Schumacher hired Mark Protasevich to write the script for a fifth Batman film. A projected mid-1999 release was announced. Los Angeles Times described their film as, quote, continuing in the same vein with multiple villains and more silliness. Ugh. It gets worse. Titled Batman Unchained, Protasevich's script featured the Scarecrow as the main villain, who, through the use of his fear toxin, resurrects the Joker as a hallucination in Batman's mind. Okay, I could get behind that. Harley Quinn would appear as a supporting character, written as the Joker's daughter. Also not comic accurate. Schumacher approached Nicolas Cage to portray the Scarecrow. Why? Dear God, why? And Courtney Love was considered for Harley Quinn. You're just making bad decisions on bad decisions. This is like doubling down on bad. Clooney O'Donnell, Silverstone, and Coolio were set to reprise the roles of Batman, Robin, Batgirl, and Scarecrow. Why the fuck would you want a rapper as your Scarecrow? I mean, yes, it would be a diversity play, but just bring back Billy D. Williams as Harvey Dent again. Good God. It was hoped that the villains from previous films would make cameo appearances in the hallucinations caused by Scarecrow, culminating with Jack Nicholson reprising the role of the Joker. Following the poor critical and financial reception of Batman and Robin, Clooney vowed never to reprise his role, and Warner Brothers canceled any future Batman films, including Schumacher's planned Batman Unchained. Batman and Robin currently holds an 11% among critics on Rotten Tomatoes. There were 11% that liked this movie? a 28 score on Metacritic, and a 1.8 out of 5 on Letterboxd, which might be the lowest Letterboxd score I've ever seen. All right, so as we do every week, let's start here. What is my relationship to this movie? I grew up in this era. I was seven when the movie came out. This was about the heyday of when I got into the toys, and I'm pretty sure that a bunch of my action figures and toys and other things were things that came out of this movie. 
down to the weird side henchmen with hockey sticks that are there for Mr. Freeze. They never really fit in on anything else, and their gear and equipment was kind of awkward and odd, but I still have them. And in fact, I think my fold-upable, basically, mansion-slash-bat-cave uh, that I had when I was, like, seven or eight is from this movie. So my connection, for the most part, was is I didn't know anything about quality or the backstory behind Batman or much of anything else. At this stage in my life, I just liked Batman, and I liked watching the TV Land reruns of the Adam West Batman. So you can understand that I apparently did not have taste when I was eight. But truth be told, most of my understanding of this movie is that it took forever for them to make another one. With Batman Begins coming out in 2005, that marked like a significant moment in my life where I had an adult Batman film to go to. This. I think I watched once or twice and never really went back to it. For whatever reason, the Burton Batmans, the Schumacher Batmans especially, never really appealed to me. And as much as I hate this movie, I hate Batman Forever even more. Because, golly, Tommy Lee Jones and whatever Jim Carrey did is unbelievable to me. But this is still an abomination. I just, I can't understand who thought this was going to be good, I don't understand what they were doing. I don't understand who this movie is for. What is this movie about? How can we sell a bunch of toys to unsuspecting kids without creating a movie that has a coherent plot or depth of character? It's insulting on the eyes and on the brain. Honestly, if I didn't have to watch this movie ever again, I think I'd be okay. It, it insults every fiber of my being that it still is out there. And the fact that we brought George Clooney, who I really like and admire, back into the Batman role as like a crossing the beams sort of moment at the end of Flash is, again, beyond me. Shelve this. Put this away so far that it should never be referenced ever again. Ugh. To wind this back a little bit, part of the reason I have to do this, just so everybody is up to date on what is going on with this episode. If you remember back to this year's Oscars earlier, you will remember that Dana and I both correctly predicted 17 of the 23 categories, but he won on a tiebreaker on who first appeared in the in memoriam section. And thus he picked this movie for me to review solely because of my relationship with an affinity for Batman. And this is by far the worst Batman film probably ever made, as most people think. Again, I still think Batman Forever is worse. Yes, for those of you saying Batman versus Superman, it's still much worse than that. At least, I got some enjoyment out of that. There was a little bit more of a coherent story, or at least the makings of a, a story. It wasn't well edited. It wasn't well shot. It was over long. The fight sequences didn't make a whole lot of sense, but it's still better than whatever the hell this movie is. So all this is to say, if there's one lesson I've learned, it's don't give the tiebreaker away to be sporting. Dana should be reviewing something by Pauly Shore right now instead of this. Let's get to our plot summary. 
In Joel Schumacher's second installment of the Cape Crusaders saga, Batman and Robin, Gotham City faces a chilling threat that goes beyond the typical criminal masterminds. A diabolical scientist, Dr. Victor Freiss, a.k.a. Mr. Freeze, played with icy intensity by Arnold Schwarzenegger, seeks to freeze Gotham and hold it hostage until he finds a cure for his terminally ill wife, Nora. But this time, Batman, George Clooney, and his trusty sidekick, Robin, Chris O'Donnell, find themselves not only battling a frozen city, but also contending with Poison Ivy, Uma Thurman, a seductive eco-terrorist who can control plants and intends to transform the world into a lush paradise, even if it means eliminating humanity. As Gotham City descends into an icy abyss, Batman and Robin must set aside their differences and join forces with the mysterious and cunning Batgirl, Alicia Silverstone. Together, they embark on a race against time to stop Mr. Freeze and Poison Ivy from plunging the world into an eternal winter. Did you know? According to John Glover, Dr. Jason Woodrow, Joel Schumacher would, quote, sit on a crane with a megaphone and yell before each take, Remember, everyone, this is a cartoon. It was hard to act because that kind of set the tone for the film. Did you know? Chris O'Donnell revealed that despite hanging out with Arnold Schwarzenegger a lot offset and during promotion for the film, they never worked a single day together. This was achieved with stand-ins when one of the actors wasn't available. Did you know? Most of the scenes with Batgirl were cut because Alicia Silverstone had gained a few pounds during production and the wardrobe team had to refit her costume. When the press discovered the news, they slammed Silverstone's weight gain and mocked the actors for being too fat to fit into her costume. Remember, this is the 90s and the era of the paparazzi and tabloid magazines and blowing all this shit way out of proportion. I was not necessarily a part of the adults who chose this path, but now we're reaping the benefits in the era of Trump. Director Joel Schumacher publicly defended Silverstone during interviews and press meetings, joking, what is this girl's big sin, that she ate some pizza? When the taunting continued, Schumacher lashed out at the reporters that taunted her. He said in a magazine interview, It was horrible. I thought it was very cruel. She was a teenager who gained a few pounds, like all of us do at certain times. I would confront female journalists and I'd say, With so many young people suffering from anorexia and bulimia, why are you crucifying this girl? Did you know? Mr. Freeze says 27 ice puns throughout the movie. And don't worry, I have quite a few of them, if not like 20 of them, coming up in the quotes section. Finally, did you know, George Clooney has been known to refund people who saw this film. Thank you, George. You've done a wonderful service. And with that, we'll take our first break and we'll be right back. All right, first up after the break here is Best Performance. If there is such a thing, I'm going to go with George Clooney because I just like George Clooney. I didn't think that he was necessarily bad as Batman, but I've often maintained you can either be a good Batman or you can be a good Bruce Wayne. Near the two shall meet. I don't think there is one actor that has been both a good Batman and a good Bruce Wayne. Christian Bale, great Batman, terrible Bruce Wayne. George Clooney, great Bruce Wayne, a mediocre Batman. Affleck, he was kind of mediocre at both. I thought he was okay, but, you know, whatever. Robert Pattinson, good as Batman. Terrible as Bruce Wayne. Now, I think that's partly due to the writing, but we'll see how this second movie plays out once the actor strike finally ends. 
so I guess he did as good as he probably could have. You know, I mean, yeah. I'm I'm not going to make this overly complicated. Best secondary performance, I'll go with Elliot Goldenthal. Yes, he was building on the previous themes that had been done, specifically the Batman theme by Danny Elfman. But it's not like he did anything terrible to like ruin the music or whatever else. And it was one of the few exhilarating things in the movie is, oh, they round a corner and they're going to go into action. The musical score will rise. And all of a sudden we're going to see something cool. Well, at least the uh, musical action was correct. Regardless, I thought at least the music was somewhat redeeming on the movie. People, I'm grasping at straws here to even get to these three. Most charismatic award. I'm going to go with Michael Goh as Alfred, partly because he was supposed to be the emotional catharsis of the film. The fact that he's dying from the same rare disease that Mr. Freeze's wife dies from, and then he kind of dies, but he doesn't really. We remove the stakes, and so he's fine. Unfortunately to me, kind of undermines a lot of the emotional stakes with the movie. You had to find a cure. I would have let the old man die. I'm sorry. You know, Alfred, he's died before in the comics. I think he can be afforded to be sacrificed on the altar of whatever this movie was. But that being said, he was better than Chris O'Donnell's uh, rigid line reading, Alicia Silverstone's bad acting, and <laughs> the ice puns from uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger or the... Uh, basic one scene of Pulp Fiction acting that we got out of Uma Thurman for the entirety of the film. If you take her scenes from Pulp Fiction where she's doing the dancing with Travolta in the throwback restaurant, that's her basically times 10 on acid through the course of this movie. No pun intended. So I'll go with Alfred because I've already nominated Clooney and I thought, okay, this guy's close enough to being somewhat charismatic He's at least lovable that you feel something when he's in trouble. If that's not at least charismatic of these characters, I guess I don't know what is because I'm not going to watch this movie again if I don't have to. Best scene for this one, I have <laughs> seven nominees. I should have zero nominees, but whatever. Best scene, opening diamond heist. Poison Ivy and Bane are born. This is just so campy and over the top. It's unbelievable. The charity event. Ivy steals Nora, which somehow is like a big plot point that she wants to be the new woman in Schwarzenegger's life. All she had to do was be a maid in his house. Alfred saved. Again, I'll, I'll nominate this already as the actual best scene because it had emotional stakes and I liked Alfred in the movies. But that's about it. Gotham freezes over, which they use the telescope in order to create a giant freeze ray that ices over Gotham. It's bordering on... I'm not even ha finding words to come up with, with how bad that, that plan is. It's like when my dad used to try and poison the water supply every time we played Batman with my action figures when I was seven. And then the final fight. Because, of course, with an action movie, you have to have a final fight, and it should be among the best scenes, because it's supposed to be leading to that. However, it's terrible, like the rest of this film. All right, favorite scene. 
Alfred saved again, even though it also annoys me because you should have let the old man die. And finally, most indelible moment, Alfred saved, because I don't want to think about the rest of this stupid movie. You could make a case for the bat nipples, but I'm not going to. All right, so that'll take us to our second break, and we'll be right back. Before we jump back into the episode, make sure to check out our other bonus series that we've been doing every month with friend of the show, Adam Hitchcock of The Streaming Circuit, where we've been grading the Marvel movies of the Infinity Saga. We just finished up Phase 1 and are gearing up for Phase 2 of the Infinity Saga in December with Iron Man 3. Make sure to subscribe to both feeds to catch these episodes. All right, we get to best funniest lines. Here come the ice puns. Mr. Freeze. What killed the dinosaurs? The Ice Age. Mr. Freeze again. Let's kick some ice. Mr. Freeze. Cool party. Mr. Freeze. As he freezes, Robin. Stay cool, bird boy. Mr. Freeze. Allow me to break the ice. My name is Freeze. Learn it well, for it's the chilling sound of your doom. Cop number one. Because, of course, we don't get even names for this. Please show some mercy. Mercy? I'm afraid my condition has left me cold to your pleas of mercy. Mr. Freeze again. Tonight's forecast, a freeze is coming. Mr. Freeze. Tonight, hell freezes over. Mr. Freeze again. I will blanket the city in endless winter. First Gotham, and then the world. Poison Ivy. Just what I had in mind. Everything dead on Earth, except us. A chance for Mother Nature to start again. Behold the dawn of a new age. My mutant plants have the strength of the deadliest animals. Once you have frozen mankind, these babies will overrun the globe and we shall rule them, for we will be the only two people left in the world. Mr. Freeze. Adam and evil. Just shoot me. Mr. Freeze. If revenge is a dish best served cold, then put on your Sunday finest. It's time to feast. Mr. Freeze. No matter what anyone tells you, Ben, it is the size of your gun that counts, says everyone at an NRA rally. And finally, my last quote that is apparently non-Mr. Freeze. Robin, where's the snowman? Batgirl, maybe he melted. Batman. No, he's just hibernating. Actual conversation in this movie, folks. Uh, I can't believe what passed for writing in the 90s. Okay, let's move to the Stanley rubric. Legacy is up first. Among the industry, this might have been the film that destroyed the Batman franchise. Thankfully, like James Bond, we've just been able to recast it many, many, many times, and they just keep popping up with new ones every five to ten years. So thankfully... I appreciate Christopher Nolan evermore after watching one of these films and resurrecting the Dark Knight franchise on the public side of things. Who watches these films? I can't remember the last time that anyone came to me and said, oh, I just watched Batman Forever or Batman and Robin last night, and they were really great. If anything, of these like 90s Batman films, you'll get the first two Keaton and Burton Batman films, the original Batman from 89 and the Batman Returns. 
maybe people will still watch those. But outside of that, everybody is on the Dark Knight and maybe the newer The Batman with Robert Pattinson. Outside of that, there are not a lot of these Batman films that people return to. And I think it's thankfully sunk out of the public consciousness so that they can forget about the fucking bat nipples. So I'm at a two and a half overall for Legacy. Impact and Significance, it was a one from the critics who gave it, honestly, it probably should just be a zero. It, it really should. 11 Golden Raspberries might be like a record. I know there are some bad films out there, but you have to really be trying to get 11 Golden Raspberries. And I know that the Razzies has taken heat in recent years as being in mean-spirited and poor taste, but this is exactly why the Razzies exist to begin with. It's not a movie that should have been taken seriously, and everybody who was even involved can take a look at themselves and say, yeah, that was not a very good movie that I was in, and I'm sorry I was a part of it. If we could do that for all the really ridiculously bad, overpriced action films or whatever else that's out there, and yes, I know people are trying their best and their hardest, but if the box office isn't good enough to show us that or show the studios why certain films don't need to be made or that we need better creative control over the process that isn't necessarily studio notes, but also gives us some assurance that when we walk into a theater and plop down our $15, that we're not going to be bombarded with this type of crap. So I have a one. I'll stick with the one, be a little conservative. However, and this is going to end up meaning that it's the top scoring category it still grossed a decent amount of money. It was the number 17 film. It had a lot of backlash. So I give it a little bit of points on the audience side of it for the negative impact or significance. Killing the franchise for an extended period of time, almost eight years, is significant. So I had a 3.5 on that side for a 4.5 overall. All right, novelty. This is only novel in that it mixes two styles with no originality to itself. It takes on the Burton Gothic look of Gotham and some of the stylistic choices, the music, uh, the car, etc., and combines it with the Adam West campiness. So neither of those two styles really blend together. So this was never going to be a good combination to begin with. And it didn't create a tone or a style to itself. It just took two things that I don't particularly like to begin with, combined them, and made something that was kind of extra crappy. It's like taking Red Bull and Jägermeister and then throwing in Kool-Aid on top of it and thinking that's somehow going to work. It's just going to be awful. So I only have a 2.5 on the novelty. Again, it's the fourth Batman film. He'd already done one. He kind of borrowed some of the same campiness. It felt like they were kind of phoning this shit in. I don't understand exactly why half of this was greenlit. And probably I shouldn't have even gone to a 2.5. Thank God this is not going to be officially on our list. Because this is going to be by far the lowest scoring thing that's ever existed on this list. Because I'm covering it and I'm not giving it that many points. Classicness. The aesthetic. Minus two. The female portrayals and diversity. Minus two. Alicia Silverstone's acting is terrible. They don't give her much to say. They cut most of her scenes. And what we get out of Uma Thurman's Poison Ivy 
is like William Shatner trying to grow plants or be a green thumb. The acting is like oddly breathy and I don't understand her character's backstory or what she actually desired. She's just supposed to be cartoonish, which I guess is what they were going for, but then it doesn't make much for a good Batman film. So that's a minus two. Nothing positive for this movie, and I'll throw in minus one. It should be more, but minus one for the bat nipples. So if you're following along, that's five points off that I've taken so far from my normal baseline of seven. I get to a two for classicness. Rewatchability. The likelihood of me putting this on again ever is zero. Zero. The likelihood that I would ever let it continue to play out is only if I were A, in a coma, or B, unable to find the remote, or C, that somebody else, like if I had a child and they wanted to watch this for the first time so that they could say they, they watched it, I would leave it on maybe for that, but I would probably leave the room. So maybe that's not me leaving it on and wanting to watch it, but I had a .5. So that's a 0.5 overall for rewatchability. <sighs> We're almost to the end of this, folks. Audience score. We had a 56% for Google users, which is way too high. It should not be above 50% that liked this film. And we have a 16% for Rotten Tomatoes users. Again, way too high. So we had a 3.6 overall for audience score. So to recap the categories, we had a 2.5 for Legacy, a 4.5 for Impact and Significance, a 2.5 for Novelty, a 2 for Classicness, and a 0.5 for Rewatchability, then an audience score of 3.6, giving us a final total of 15.6, which is almost 8 points less than our lowest movie on the list, which was kind of a joke movie to begin with, The Room from 2003. So, yes, to say that I detest this movie would not be strong enough. And if you disagree with any of my commentary on this movie, normally I would provide you all of our social platforming and where you could find our email address or find our website or any of the other things. But simply, if you disagree with me on any of the scoring or the rest of it, unless you're going to argue that I was not low enough, go fuck yourself. Remaining questions. What was the point of this movie? Can't answer that, other than to sell toys. And that's never going to be the basis for a good movie. Something the studios should have learned a long time ago, and unfortunately it seems like we keep relearning some of these lessons over and over and over again. What the hell did they do to Bane? I know as much as my generation picks on the Tom Hardy version of Bane as being this campy, overly quotable because it's kind of funny portrayal of Bane, but it's light years ahead of whatever the fuck this was. A roided out circus freak in a Mexican wrestler's mask. It just doesn't make any sense. They took what was a really cool character that was created a couple of years before in the, in the comic book series and made him into something that was just, <sighs> I'm, I'm running out of superlatives. And then finally, who was this movie made for? 
apparently was for children who wouldn't know the difference between an actual plot and just a bunch of cool looking action sequences or uh, colorful stuff on film. I, I, I really don't know. And at this point, it can go safely back into the vault from where it came. The fact that this is even available on streaming is sad. I don't know why HBO Max or Max or whatever it is called these days bothers to keep it up on their service. There are better things to bring back or to put forward. You have such a classic movie library. I'd much rather see thousands of other TCM classics cycled through than leave space for this and Batman Forever. I'll let you leave the two Burton films up there, but please, please, for the love of God, don't let anyone discover Batman Forever or Batman and Robin for the first time. <sighs> all right. I think I've said all I have to say on this movie. I've done a good 30 minutes just straight trying to tell you never to watch this fucking thing and wondering why, why in the hell I allowed Dana to have the tiebreaker over me, even though we picked the same person initially. <sighs> Oh, well. So that's going to do it for this bonus episode. Thank you for listening. And the Oscar goes to... Make sure to join us for our next Oscars preview coming this next March. We have a lot of fun with those. We'll be doing our annual Oscars bet again, and hopefully this time I will come out on top because I cannot afford to do another one of these. Please like, follow, rate, and review, or whatever on whichever platform you have so that more can join in on our fun. You can also email the show at the new RonnieDuncanStudios.com or email us at GreatestAllTimeMoviePodcast at gmail.com. Find our new Facebook page under Greatest Movie of All Time Podcast or find us on Instagram, X, or TikTok at the handle at Podcast. The Greatest Movie of All Time is a production of Ronnie Duncan Studios. Our show is mixed, edited, and written by Thomas Duncan. Our music is thanks to Purple Planet Music. Our technical provider and distributor is Captivate FM. <laughs>